0: Hey, it's Steven Henderson. Today on the podcast we're going to talk about electric vehicles. I, for one, am not sold on the convenience or the feasibility of electric vehicles, and I'm not alone. In recent months, we have seen the sales of electric vehicles slow significantly. We're going to talk with Jamie Butters, who is the executive editor of Automotive News and the co-host of the Automotive News Daily Drive podcast about what's going on with EVs. How quickly can the auto Makers make the shift to making them efficient and cost effective? And what do we need to do from an infrastructure perspective to make them work in our world? But first, we want to explore a potential new state office that would help Michigan transition to cleaner energy, specifically as it relates to the auto industry. To talk about that, we've got State Senator Sam Singh here. He is a Democrat. From Lansing and has sponsored legislation that would create the Community and Worker Economic Transition Office. Uh, Sam, welcome back to Detroit Today.
1: Thank you very much for having me back.
0: Yeah, so uh, tell us what the Community and Worker Economic Transition Office is, what it will do, how many people would be working in it, and how those things, how that office would work to help the auto industry in particular with this massive transition?
1: Sure. Uh, The office that we are looking at has been uh, modeled uh, after other states, uh, Colorado as well as Illinois, have created uh, these offices to take a look at transitions. And those other states, the transition has been more for the energy sector uh, as part of our conversation that we've been having in the legislature around moving our uh, utilities to clean energy, we had that same conversation. How do we help the utilities make a transition as well as their workers make a transition to clean energy? Uh, and so we began to explore creating an office for that. And at the same time, you know, obviously we're seeing a huge shift here in Michigan uh, because of some of the our market trends towards electric vehicles. And then uh, what happened is that groups came to us and said, well, this office is gonna be taking a look at Uh, transitions for workers in the energy space, shouldn't they also take a look at the automotive space? We thought that was a great idea. And we also leave it, uh, the office uh, and the eventual director, to look at other industries uh, that potentially might be going through significant transition. You know, we've already taken a look at AI and how AI is going to be impacting a variety of different sectors. And I could see an office like this beginning to take a look at that as well.
0: Mm. So I, I want to talk about why this is important there are a lot of folks who would criticize government for getting involved in this transition they would say listen if this isn't something that can happen inside the constraints of the market itself maybe it's something that we we shouldn't be doing or maybe shouldn't be pushing as fast to do as as we are what 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 would be your answer uh, to those kinds of questions or, or, or criticisms about why you think government is the right mechanism, I guess to to try to to try to speed some of this up or make it easier.
1: Well, oftentimes when we see a transition in industries, uh, the industry itself makes a transition. The factories and the uh, hard investments uh, make that transition, but oftentimes workers can be left behind. And that's one of the reasons why we want a proactive department within state government that can work with industry but make sure that the workers aren't left behind during the transition. As you know, uh, the state of Michigan, as every state does, gets significant federal dollars uh, to its uh, economic development and workforce development programs to help workers uh, get training and technical assistance, especially as jobs are created and new opportunities are available. And what this will allow us to do is – Work with the industry that's making a change. And when they know that workers' skills have to change, we can now use these federal dollars where there's billions of dollars coming into the state uh, and we'll begin to use those dollars. Obviously, Uh, Private industry doesn't have access to those dollars. Uh, State government, our local uh, Michigan works departments uh, have those resources. And what we can do is be a coordinating body uh, between industry but also workforce development providers like our community colleges and our workforce boards and make sure that the training is available so workers aren't left left behind during this type of transition.
0: Hmm. And, of course, there are the hard investments here too, that need to be made. The idea that if we're going to, in particular, have electric cars be the thing that everyone is driving or most people are driving, we need uh, EV charging stations. We need all kinds of other kind of changes to the road infrastructure, how much of this office would be focused on changing essentially the energy grid to make it better for EVs, but also some of the other transitions that we're making to uh, electric power?
1: Well, this is focused specifically on workers and their transition. You're probably familiar that uh, Governor Whitmer created the um, uh, office uh, dealing with Um, uh, future mobility and electrification. Mm -hmm. Uh, That office has been around now for a few years. It's been developing uh, a significant plan uh, that the state is under to um, electrify uh, the transportation sector. So they came out uh, a few years ago with a a comprehensive plan on how to uh, do that. A lot of that is about how you look at investments on Uh, EV chargers, how you make sure that uh, new uh, buildings that are being built have the appropriate, uh, you know, electrical uh systems so they can begin to look at charging whether that's at a business or at a at a home and so this office is dealing with that the office that i'm looking at creating is focused specifically on the workforce side of things Mm -hmm. so there will be a lot of connection and they'll collaborate with one another but the hard infrastructure things are already being addressed by the office of future mobility and electrification that's a department within uh, the MEDC. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: We're talking with Sam Singh. He is a Democrat from Lansing, uh, a state senator. And we're talking with him about the state's possible economic transition office, uh, something that he has proposed to try to help workers as we transition from uh, all to other forms of power, in particular the gas combustion engine in the auto industry, to electric power. The new office would be called the Community and Worker Economic Transition Office. We'd love to hear from you during the conversation as well. Call and tell us if you think we need the government to help with this transition. In our economy and in our lives, should the free market maybe be able to take care of more of this transition on its own? Uh, what do you think of the ideas to employ government uh, assistance to do these kinds of transitions to, to get us to cleaner energy sources? Three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number here on the phones. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go do Twitter and hashtag Detroit today and we can make you part of the conversation uh, that way. Uh, Sam, give me a sense of where we are with this legislation. I know it still does have to pass the House. Uh, how confident are you that uh, that this can, can get done?
1: Actually, it did pass the House uh, last week uh, on, on Thursday, so it's coming back uh, to the Senate this week for uh, concurrence. And, Uh, We'll be uh, sending that forward uh, onto the governor uh, for her signature. So, uh, we feel obviously very confident uh, in this uh, concept. As I mentioned before, it's already been piloted in in other states. And from this point forward, you know, once uh, and if the governor, you know, signs uh, this legislation, uh, you know, we'll be able to, you know, create this department. Uh, within uh, the Department of Labor and Economic Opportunity. And then this will be, as I mentioned before, this uh, collaborating body that will work with multiple departments, but work specifically with industry uh, on their workforce needs and make sure that we use the federal resources that we have to ensure that Any company that wants to make this transition and that is planning on making this transition has the resources to make sure that their workers get trained for any new job opportunities that will be available to them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Sam Singh, uh, State Senator from Lansing. Uh, Always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue talking about the shift that we're making in energy and transportation in our lives. Uh, We're going to be joined by Jamie Butters, executive editor of Automotive News and co-host of the Automotive News Daily Drive podcast. Uh, Stay with us for more Detroit Today. be honest, right now, I wouldn't buy a car that relied solely on electric power. There are just too many questions about where I would charge it, whether I would find myself, as a friend of mine was relaying a story about recently, without power somewhere and without the knowledge of where I could even get power. So what is the way forward here? How do we make sure that these things are available and that these things are convenient for us to use in a way uh, that makes it a lot like the gas combustion engines that we rely on now. To talk about that and more, we now have Jamie Butters here. He is the executive editor of Automotive News and the co-host of the Automotive News Daily Drive podcast. Jamie, welcome to Detroit Today. Great to be here. Yes, it's great to have you in studio. Normally we're talking on Zoom or on the (laughs) phone or something. Now I'm sitting across from you. That's good. Yeah. So I want to talk about the current sort of state of uh, electric vehicles. There, there, a few years ago, seemed to be so much excitement about the idea of electric vehicles. That's really cooled in the recent uh, months, at least. How worried should we be about that? And how dramatic is that cooling off?
3: You know, it, the market is still fundamentally growing. EV, The EV business is growing, but it's challenging. I think a lot of it, you know, people were so excited. If you remember the uh, reveal of the Ford F-150 Lightning, and it was so exciting. I mean, I think they had literal fireworks. They had, you know, lights. And uh, all the TV networks were falling all over themselves and and really trying to declare you know, that, that the world had all changed and we could have a, you know, $40,000 electric vehicle, electric pickup that could do everything. And, you know, there was sort of a 50 or whatever, $60,000 version for a, you know, work truck that was heavily subsidized by these $100,000 plus F-150 Lightnings that a few people buy. Um, a lot of Ford dealers buy them, you know, that's cool, but it's, uh, It's a tough market. There's only, turns out, there are only so many people who can afford a $100,000 car, whether it's an (laughs) F-150 Lightning or a Tesla Model X, you know, or the Mercedes, you know, has really run against the wall of putting out, you know, created a lot of really cool electric vehicles, but a lot of them are $100,000 and up, you know, $80,000 and up. And there's, there is just only so many people who can buy that kind of a vehicle.
0: so so, what do the automakers say first about those prices, which are not just for for you know, evs. I mean, the, the cost of a regular car right now is mm. is really high, uh, high enough that I know a lot of folks who have said they can't afford a new car. That's why they're buying used cars and 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 things like that. Um, uh, what do the automakers say about those prices and whether? Uh, whether we can expect that they would come down at some point so that more people could afford them.
3: They might come down a little. I think what we're going to see and what the automakers will say, you know, during COVID when there was such a shortage of semiconductors and other key supplies, they'll admit, I mean, they prioritized the biggest profit vehicles, right? The big SUVs, the big pickups, and the highest trim levels of every vehicle that they made. And so now they're having to fill out more of the rest of the portfolio. They can make basically all that they want to make. And that includes some of the more affordable versions of the vehicles that they're making and making the full lineup, not just the high end. Um, But hey, prices are gonna stay high. Prices never come down. They might come down though, relative to wages. You know, you look at what's happening with the UAW. So if prices stay kind of the same, uh, and you know, UAW members, other people in the community start seeing five and ten percent pay increases. You know, that can make the affordability a little less onerous than it is right now. Uh,
0: so I, I said in the open of the show that I kind of analogize this period of time. To the turn of the last century, from the 1800s to the 1900s, <laughs> when we we were undergoing, I, I think, in some ways, a, a bigger transition from you know horse-driven uh, vehicles uh, to, to to gas-powered vehicles to to, to machines. Um, in some ways, it's really different, too. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about an energy shift that's going on more broadly than in the auto industry as well. But if we go back to that time period and talk about the things that made cars uh, ubiquitous, right, uh, easily uh, obtainable – and easily drivable around, around our country. I mean, you can, you, you can kind of point to some inflection uh, points, right? Uh, the, the creation uh, and perfection uh, of the assembly line, of course, made mm-hmm. it cheaper to make, uh, to make cars uh, on a mass scale. Uh, Henry Ford's idea to pay workers $5 a day, which he said would help them be able to buy the vehicles they were making. Those were things that made, uh, you know, gas-powered cars uh, not just popular, uh, but but the, the the thing that everybody was was using. So if we try to imagine what those things might look like today, that would that would make EVs uh, more accessible and and better to drive. Uh, what, what would they be? What, what, what are we waiting for to happen that would make this transition
3: easier? It's, it's cost and it's charging and especially it's cost, right? The reason people switched from horses to cars and trucks that were powered by, as you said, by machines, often gas, but sometimes in those days, even electric, um, was because they were economically advantageous, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they didn't get tired like horses did. The maintenance was more predictable. Um and of course then you could go faster and longer distances what we have now right as we as we discussed like prices are high prices for evs are even higher uh, we've got some federal government support to try to bring the prices down on certain vehicles for certain consumers uh, but look they still cost more and that is a burden but if we can get you know new and better chemistries and also gaining the efficiency you know tesla didn't start off making uh, billions of dollars they started off losing billions of dollars and then they got to where they could break even and now they make a ton of money and they're putting a lot of pressure on everyone else by cutting prices but gm and ford and the rest are all further back in that learning curve and so they've got to learn to get more efficient and faster but what we're looking at possibly by the end of the decade you know Kia is looking to do a car, an EV in the mid-20s. Toyota, I think, is aiming for that. Tesla is aiming for that. Uh, Stellantis as well. I mean, you're going to need to see some really major breakthroughs for Mm -hmm. that to happen. But if they're economically better, the driving experience is better, and then they'll take over. But... It's tough. You really were to go from the early adopters to the mass market. It has to be economically compelling and uh, we're kind of not there yet.
0: And it's not an EV in the mid 20s. That sounds phenomenal. What is it about what they're doing now that they have to perfect to get to that? Is it is it about batteries? Is it about uh, some other science in in the car? What what prevents that from being available
3: now? Yeah, it's primarily the batteries. The batteries, right? It's you know you're talking about ten to fifteen thousand dollars worth of batteries in a car, and compared to you know a powertrain that altogether might cost five thousand um, dollars, it's just a whole. It's a lot more money, mm-hmm. and so they can try to find ways to make savings. But what we're really looking at is, can we get to you know solid state batteries? Can we do you know there's some uh, Plants that don't take as much uh, cobalt or as much lithium, Uh, so we'll see if you know they can if we can get a break. Basically, it's it's going to need a breakthrough or two. But as some people you know would theorize, if you throw enough hundreds of billions of dollars at a problem, the scientists will figure stuff out, like we did with the COVID vaccine. You know, faster than anyone thought could be done. If enough resources are put at it, maybe that's when we when we get the big breakthroughs.
0: Will it require? That government do that? I mean, COVID, the COVID vaccine uh, saw massive uh, uh, government subsidy to to speed that up to make sure that we didn't just you know continue with this mass death for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, would we need something on that scale from government with? I mean, TVs? we're seeing
3: it. We're I mean, the Inflation Reduction Act, as well as you know the Chips Act and uh, and other things. You know, it's I mean the the support. The government support, federal and state, it's, heavy, right? it's 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 immense. You know, it went, you know, China had put so much into EVs and batteries, um, you know, a long time ago, they have a head start. You know, China and Tesla have a huge head start. Uh, but the United States government is very active in supporting and promoting this stuff, but it takes time. That's the other thing, right? When we all got excited about the F-150 Lightning, you know, people thought it was we were there. And we're not there. We're on the beginning of a journey that's, you know, at least a decade, hmm. right? Uh, to get the mines built, the, uh, the processing back onshore. And it takes forever to, to get those up and running. The permitting is very challenging. Uh, some would say it should be, yeah. uh, but you know that's something we're going to be hearing more about in the coming years as well. Yeah,
0: I'm talking with uh, Jamie Butters. He's the executive editor of Automotive News and co-host of the Automotive News Daily Drive podcast. We're talking about the transition to electric vehicles and the slowdown that we have seen recently in that transition, why it's happening, what it means and I guess what will break uh, this all loose again so that uh, we can continue in this transition to electric vehicles at the pace that we had been seeing for at least a couple of years. We really want to hear from you during the conversation as well. Uh, Are you someone who is all in on EVs? Uh, Are you driving one? Uh, Tell me about uh, the purchase and why you decided uh, that this was the way you wanted to go. Uh, Why do you think EV sales overall are down. Is that about cost? Is it about the availability of charging stations? Uh, Is it just about anxiety, about uh, letting go of uh, gas combustion engines and uh, the power and the things that uh, we're all used to uh, in the cars that we drive? Uh, Also, if you're someone like me who is really hesitant about electric vehicles, tell me what it is that you would like to see that would change your mind. What would make you go and buy one? Is it just about cost or is it also about infrastructure and some of the other changes that we're trying to make? 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You could also go to Twitter, hashtag Detroit Today, and we could make you part of the the conversation that way, uh, Jamie. I do want to talk about hybrids uh, because, while I am somebody who would not go buy an electric vehicle, we do have uh, a hybrid in in our family. My son drives it. I am in awe of the the efficiency of that of that vehicle, uh, not just. The gas mileage which is like crazy 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 60 70 miles per gallon i think he's getting uh but also the way the car drives i mean it feels different from uh, it feels different from my car which is just a regular old uh, gas combustion engine it, it feels to me as though the automakers are no longer leaning as hard into the hybrid space as they as they used to i don't hear as much about it i don't feel like they're pushing that But it does seem like uh, maybe a baby step in the transition, right? Hey, try this out. Uh, It it won't change uh, your lifestyle too much. It won't require that you have in your head at all times where the nearest charging station is. uh, But it'll get you better gas mileage, and it is fun to drive. What's going on with hybrids versus, I guess, EVs? And not just the way they're marketing it, but also what they're leaning into making.
3: Yeah, each company has kind of their own approach. Uh, and you need to keep in mind that hybrids uh, really have a huge range to them. You've got some that are, you know, mild hybrids, uh, you know, just a regular, you know, pickup that, that where the engine turns off, does has a stop start, and it'll turn off when you're at a stoplight. That's a mild hybrid, uh, saving you energy instead of just burning gas while you're sitting there doing nothing. And then you've got sort of a you know regular hybrid. Uh, we think back to the Prius. You know, hybrids since then, you know, the Prius is still very focused around, uh, highest maximum fuel economy. Most of the other Toyota hybrids and a lot of other hybrids have really used their electrification to add performance, uh, because as has been the case for all of our lives for mm-hmm. decades, you know, people say they want a fuel efficient car, but then they buy the one that goes faster. Yeah. And so that, you know, there's that shift. And then you've got the plug-in hybrids, which are really like electric cars. That have, you know, sometimes you almost think of them as a range extender, you know, a gas powered engine that will let you drive, you know, 300, 400, 500 miles at a time that you can fill up uh, without having to charge up. Uh, But for normal, everyday driving, you can reduce your carbon footprint by, you know, whatever, 90 percent plus. Yeah. Uh, So a lot of different options. And so you look around Detroit, right, Um, you know, basically Jeep has plug in hybrids, uh, uh, you know gm is just evs and you know ford has a little bit of of both but it's uh they're really leaning into evs and yeah. trying to just make the leap uh, but it's uh sometimes the hybrids are a good solution
0: yeah i mean um, i guess i hadn't thought through the fact that there are lots of different kinds of hybrids and that you would consider uh, a car like mine the one that i'm driving which is uh, it got a gas engine but does shut off at the light, if you stay in there too too mm-hmm. long, and and then turns back on, that that's a form of of hybrid as as well. Yep. I, I, but again, I think that goes to the the lack of energy behind uh, the the selling of, of of these things. I mean, you don't hear people saying, "Well, look, this is hybrid. This is a step on the way uh, to electric to electric vehicle. Why don't you try it out?"
3: Well, some consumers just aren't attracted to that yeah they might appreciate that the fuel economy is better Um, a lot of them you know people, people who drive pickups and people who drive sports cars sometimes complain about the auto stop start Uh, they feel like it slows them down coming out of a red light or they just don't like the sound of it or it's too jarring (laughs) Um, but but so you can actually there's a almost all cars will have a button that will override that yeah Uh, some of them try to make it easier than others you know, so you could just start your car and then turn off the <laughs> the hybrid fe- feature, and you know lo- and peel lower your gas mileage, but you can peel out it. just a little more, yeah. and you can have that rumble all the way through instead of having it uh, your audio change. <laughs>
0: right. Okay, we're gonna take another quick break. We'll be right back with more Detroit today. Let's start today with Laura in Farmington. Laura, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks so
4: much for having me. And mm-hmm. Thanks for the conversation. Um, so I have had been driving a EV since 2019. I love it. I love driving an EV. I love not getting gas. But uh, in December, uh, it was rear-ended, and it I didn't get it back from the shop until July. Oh. So I had we had to buy another car because it took you know that long to fix <laughs>
2: Wow
0: uh, yeah did they tell you the reason that it took- there's
4: very few body shops that are certified to work on some of on a lot of these cars mm. and there's very few technicians that can work on these cars
0: hmm yeah. And
4: so there's a big backlog and then you're waiting for parts, you're waiting. So like it took them 3 months to just look at it.
0: Wow. Wow. Laura, yeah. I'm sorry you had that experience, but I guess my question is now that you have your EV back, are you just as much of a fan? Are you I love less it so of? A fan? Still, you still love it. <laughs> I love it. It's the best. <laughs>
4: it's amazing. I love it. I missed it so much, but I hated getting gas.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Laura, I really appreciate the call and uh, and the story. Uh, it's another, I mean, I suppose it's another function of how new all of this is and how we're kind of working out all the processes around it. And I guess uh, repair uh, and the the expertise to repair is one of them. Uh, Jamie, is that is that so that it's it's more difficult to repair these cars? Because there are fewer of them, and there's probably fewer mechanics who actually know how they work.
3: Yeah, a couple of thoughts on that. Uh, you know, the early studies have found that repairs for EVs have generally take longer um, and can be and are more costly. Although how it plays out in the long term is still very much in doubt. A lot of auto dealers really count on you know service and parts work to keep their business going, especially during downturns in the economy. Hmm. And there's a lot of concern there that EVs will be less profitable for them when they're out in the, in the population, because people don't need to come in for oil changes. There's just fewer parts to wear out. I mean, it's tires and windshield wipers and that's about it. So, you know, they try to reassure themselves sometimes like, well, yeah, but when they come in, it's a big deal. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And, and there are challenges. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I would say all through the pandemic, um, You know, it's taken a long time to get any body work done. Um, you know, it's just, it's a backlog all around on, on all kinds of vehicles. But I, I believe you, Laura, that it may have taken even longer, uh, for your EV, especially if there were any, you know, sensors, she didn't say if it's a Tesla or it's a Ford or whatever, but if it has some self-driving capabilities, you're going to see more sensors that need to be exactly precisely placed. Uh, so those can be a challenge too. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Laura. Uh, I'm glad you're happy again with your with your EV. But I'm sorry that it took so long uh, this year to get it back. Uh, let's go next to Stephanie in Detroit. Stephanie, welcome to the show.
5: Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so I actually also had the anxieties of you know where to charge and whatnot. So we um, actually purchased a plug-in hybrid in 2016. And just like Laura, I loved it. I, you know, eventually you kind of plan out of where can you charge, and 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 you know, depending what distances you're going. And I think that's part of the commitment of if you are choosing to purchase an electric car for whatever reason, like mine was for environmental reasons. That that commitment that I made, you know, there's some things that are a bit of out of convenience, but. Um, again, it's, it's, it's a planning matter. Um, I will admit that you know cost is definitely a huge issue um, because then you know I eventually did buy a full electric car, and which definitely was very pricey. Hmm. Um, but then you know there's the government uh, tax breaks and whatnot, so that did help absorb that a little bit. Um, but um, I think
0: so hybrids are a
5: good solution for someone to transition.
0: Yeah. So Stephanie, you went from a hybrid. To an electric vehicle, and how long did you have? How long did you have the hybrid?
5: Um, it was a plug-in hybrid. I had it for about. I still have it actually. Oh, you do. But okay. I've ha- I purchased it in 2016. Okay. And then purchased the full electric wow. after.
0: Wow. So you about you're, a year ago. Uh, so you're all you're all in. Uh, there there's no. I'm all in. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess for me, it, it still would be that that calculation that you have to make when you get into the car every day. It would just be one more thing I would have to worry about, and maybe I would figure it out and it would become kind of routine, but uh, I I, I give you all the, 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 the praise in the world, Stephanie, for leaning in as hard as you have 2016. It's kind of early to to to, to be uh, on board like this, and then to buy an EV as well. Um, you know, it, it is about habit in some ways, uh, Jamie. This this idea that that you know uh, you adapt, I guess, at, at some point to to habits that that require more thought about uh, your car than than they do now.
3: Well, and different types of thought, and it does require us to learn to analyze our driving in ways that you know we didn't ha- used to have to in the 20th century. Um, I thought it was interesting. Like she said, she was motivated by the environment. You know, the early adopters really are either people who are really into tech uh, for its own sake, uh, always have the newest, you know, computer and phone mm-hmm. and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the others are people who are motivated by the environment. The problem is you tend to bump up around maybe 10 percent of the market is all that's going to cover. So to get to that next 20, 30, 40, 50%. Uh, it's going to have to be easier for more people.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go next to Ray in Detroit. Ray, what's on your mind? Hey, good morning.
2: Morning, how about you? Good, how are you? Yeah, we. Um, I've been driving an EV for several years now. And once you start driving a full EV, you're not going to go back to the combustion uh, ice engines anymore. <laughs> I think that uh, there's a serious issue with range anxiety, uh, but education, education, education is the biggest key to all this here. And listen, we're, we're focusing on that ourselves, of, oh, I have mobility. but education in terms of what is the vehicle, uh, dealing with the charging of the vehicle, dealing with uh, how to calculate your range, your distance, because even though the OEMs say, okay, you want to get 250 miles, but a lot of that's Depends on how you, as a driver, function. Yeah. Because if you're running all types of uh, energy components in the vehicle, that's going to significantly reduce your range. Also, I've been finding out myself, personally, uh, when you charge at a fast charger, which means that you charge with, take about 40 minutes, uh, that battery seems to reduce its range. Because Uh once you charge, that battery is heated up, and then you take off. You constantly heating that battery up so that reduces your range so okay. it's best to charge a slow charger uh to get to your full range capacity but you have to be careful on how you utilize that vehicle yeah so that's what we the key is education, education, yeah. education. so Ray
0: but, but before I get back to our guest you said something early uh in the in the call that I want to go back to you said once you drive an EV you would never Want to go back to something else? I want to know why you think that's true. What is it about driving an EV that uh, you find so exciting? Well,
2: well, well, let me let me clarify that. Now, if you if you travel, you're gonna need an additional <laughs> vehicle to travel now, Okay, yeah. <laughs> all right. But when I say that, because it's it's just a smooth, comfortable. It's just a different experience. I mean, I mean, there's less moving parts. I mean, it's just a very, very smooth, comfortable ride. All right, okay. I I I I trust you, right?
0: <laughs> that that is that exciting. I I have I have to admit, I have never driven an EV I've uh, ridden in one and you can feel you can feel the difference I mean it, it is functioning differently and if you're uh, you know a detroiter and know what's going on in cars anyway uh, I think you can detect that that it's different but but that's it's exciting to hear Ray that, that you think it's uh, you think it's a lot of fun uh, and I imagine that ultimately that's the sell here or at least part of it Jamie
3: Yeah no and uh, to your earlier point it's about habits right and if you have a chart, if you have a garage, you know, and not everybody in America does, but if you have a garage at your home and you put a charger in it, you know, you just get in the habit of coming home and plug it in, you know, unless you're at already at 80% or something, you get home, you plug it in, then it's al- always ready to go. And if you're just driving around town, if you're doing normal driving, if you're not going on an out of state road trip or, you know, driving to Kalamazoo and back in a day, yeah. you're going to have plenty of charge and you don't have to worry about it. And it actually, you know, it's as easy as a phone, um, and it's super convenient and you don't have to go to the gas station ever. Right. Right. Um, and you don't even, and you go for oil changes, you know, never. Uh, so it's just, it's a time saving, it's quieter, it's faster, you know, higher low end torque. Uh, so those are the benefits, but of course, is that worth an extra $5,000? You know, maybe not, um, maybe so, you know, maybe we get there. Another thing, we've talked a couple of times, we've touched on the EV tax credits from the federal government. Those are going to get a little more attractive in January where you'll be able to get them at the point of sale um, instead of having to apply for them on your taxes. So that should be something that uh, makes it a little easier for people to buy next year.
0: Yeah. Uh, Ray, again, thanks for uh, the call and the information. Let's go next to Paul in Ottawa Lake. Paul. Welcome to the show.
6: Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Uh, I, I like, I've owned a, a Tesla uh, model three since March. I, I paid uh, 44,000 for it. Now you can buy them for uh, 38,000. Mm. The prices are coming down. Uh, I, I owned it. Uh, I had a plug in hybrid before that. And um, I got hooked. Once you, once you start driving these things, um, <laughs> you'll, <laughs> you fall in love. With them. And, and so I, I, uh, so I, I, when I, I just uh, uh, my son had one. He had a, he bought a Tesla like five years ago. He's had he he had it in for service one time, and uh, they came to his house. They picked up his car on a flatbed trailer. They left, dropped off a loaner, and they took it to service. And about two days later, they brought it back. Other than that, it's been trouble free. The only thing he's done was change tires and um, put washer fluid in it hmm. when she'll want. But then, so, uh, and, and the Teslas—they will tell you where to go for charging. They will, they will, they the will car, figure it out. The
0: car will tell you. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
6: The car will tell you. Yeah. It will. It, it will. It, it, in its navigation. It's looking
0: at. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've seen that in in EVs. My car. Uh, does it too now with gas stations, which is interesting. like when uh, I get low on fuel, it's telling me how, how long I have and where the, the the different options are. It'll even tell me sometimes what the price is at uh, at some of the <laughs> at some of the gas stations. Uh, Paul, really appreciate uh, the call and the info. Let's go to Chase in Detroit. Chase, welcome to the show.
7: Morning, Steven. I hey. love this conversation. So my partner is a an Uber driver here in Detroit, and Uber and Hertz have a partnership where uh, rideshare drivers can actually rent EVs. So, okay. you know, we've been an EV family for the past couple of months now, and, you know, neither one of us had driven an EV before then, um, and he has fallen in love with it. One, it's completely helped his bottom line, you know, using far, far less gas huh. um, on his rides throughout the region, and we actually even took... The car on a trip to toronto which to the to the last point about the car telling you where to stop you know it was it added a bit of time to the to the journey but you know it was still pretty efficient it's a, it's a tesla that we've uh been been driving so i'm i'm not completely sold yet but he definitely has fallen in love and I think we're probably going to end up buying new
0: <laughs> So so that's a really interesting that's a really interesting story. I did not know about uh, that partnership between Hertz and and Uber but but I also want to talk about this trip to Toronto and and how you how easy you found it to find charging station but also what do you do while it's charging? I mean, you're someplace that maybe you don't uh, a city you don't know, and are mm-hmm. you just sitting? Are you just sitting by the road and waiting?
7: So, uh, like like was previously said, you know, the car tells you where to stop. So most of the major cities along that route um, had EV charging stations right off of the highway, right off of 401, and at least in the Tesla, you have. Um, Netflix. There's a really huge screen in Tesla. but you have Netflix. You have other sorts of uh, uh, movies and television options. So yeah. you are sitting in the car. You are waiting there, but um, you know there are things to do while you're waiting there.
0: But there's entertainment. There's entertainment in yes, the car. Exactly. All right. That's that's pretty cool. Chase, really appreciate the call. Uh, uh, Jamie, the, this excitement that people seem to have calling the show. Paul and Chase. Both really into it, and and well, Paul's point about the price coming down on those Teslas is, is interesting too. I didn't know that either.
3: Oh yeah, the price has been coming down a lot, and uh, it's put a lot of pressure on other brands that are earlier in their cost curve. Um, but the real key, you know, is uh, you know, Ray notes if you're going to take a road trip, you need another car. And uh, was it Chase who just was yeah. on with us? So here's the thing: is the Teslas have the Tesla supercharger network, which is the best charging network hmm. in North America. And it's also very well integrated with the car and with the ownership experience. But what we've seen this year, uh, Tesla made deals with most of the big rivals to let them use Tesla's network and use Tesla's system. Uh, and their EVs is probably starting in 2025, Uh, for the most part, but that will make EVs accessible to, you know, easier for road trips for everybody. But again, it takes time, right? They made these announcements and it's going to be, you know, a year and a half, two years before it actually is available. (laughs) Uh, But as we're looking to the second half of this decade, aiming toward that sort of 40, 50, 60% uh, at the end of the decade, the, the charging uh, should be a more satisfying be process for me. Yeah,
0: I mean that was going to be my last question. We only got about thirty seconds left, but do you, do you think in five years you and I will be having this same conversation about frustration with? This technology,
3: I hope not. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, th- I think five years we should really start to see some of the changes. You know, Toyota is working on solid state batteries, they expect that to come out in around 27, 28. So that's maybe five years down the road, and that would be a big cost shift. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll see more, have more to choose from, and more and better chargers. Five years, definitely in 10 years. It'll I be think better. it'll be a very different All conversation. Right.
0: I'm going to hold you to that, Jamie. Yeah. I'll be here.
3: <laughs> uh, Jamie Butter,
0: always great to have you here on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow and we'll have more great programming on Detroit Today. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions, and podcast editing is by David Lines. Our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET in Detroit, and you can support the show by leaving a rating or a comment.